Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Elliot, the cheat, the keeper I follow commentator of the podcast. No touch, he's a diving cheat. And I'm joined today by the diving cheat of the podcast. Gavin Ward's right, and you're wrong, ref. It's Riley the cheat. How are you, Riley? I'm sorry, Martin. <laughs> I am doing good, Elliot the Cheat. Uh, yes, um, I've not eat, had a chance to eat yet, um, but I've had a decent enough day. I'm, I'm recovering from some sort of cold flu bug, so if I sound a little bit nasal or sniff every now and again, that will be why to all our listeners. How are you? Yeah, I think it's going to be the same for both of us potentially today. I had a stag at the weekend and I seem to have some kind of cough. Who knows, might be COVID. Haven't actually tested for it. It could be. Is COVID even a thing anymore? Was it ever really a thing? I don't know whether we need to go down that line because uh, this podcast is not about conspiracies. And, and just for our listeners to know, I do actually think COVID is a thing. I've had it three times and I know what it's like. So I don't think I've got it this time. But, you know, it's just one of them where it, it could be. And I've just been a bit off all week. But um, if I start coughing at any point, I'm sure our lovely editors will edit me out now that they're listening to this. I hope you all do. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I had fish and chips for tea not with mushy peas i don't like mushy peas sorry i know i know uh, i just had normal peas disappointing disappointing adam i know and i and i do like a bit of mayo and a bit of ketchup not mixed together but as my two dips for anyone that wonders i don't i don't like using mushy peas as my dip how very american of you uh, I, th- I do believe that weston mckenney would approve of that <laughs> it's just my go-to's i don't mind curry sauce either i don't didn't have any so it's like I'm just gonna have ketchup or mayo or a, or a bit of both, and yeah, I kind of just dip in between them. So yeah, it was it was been all right. I've, I've been okay otherwise. Just like this week's been a bit long with <laughs> just coughing a lot, and yeah. Um, but otherwise, I'm I'm all right. Um, and yeah, we will get on to some of the news. I don't think there is much news. I think the only thing to mention of note is that uh, after the game, obviously Shackleton wasn't playing, James Shackleton, um, and it came out that he might have some kind of a shoulder knock. Don't know how serious that is. If he's like badly dislocated it, he could 
could be out for a little while. If it's if it's nothing major, then might just be a game or two. Have you got any thoughts on on that and and his role? Uh, well, yeah, it obviously means that we will have to have Ailing in in the side, and we know we know about Ailing's weaknesses at the moment. So I would would preferred for Shackleton to be available, but. It didn't affect us majorly in the game against QPR, I don't think, but we'll get into QPR shortly. Yes, and that is what we are here today to review. We're we're here today to talk about the QPR win, the 1-0 win at Elland Road. Uh, I'll just get straight on into the the game summary, if that's okay with you. Leeds approach the game in their usual 4-2-3-1-ish shape, with QPR opting for a 3-4-2-1 shape. Leeds begun the game having the majority of possession. The QPR happy to sit off and allow us the ball, only pressing high in fleeting moments. Leeds were able to score first in the 10th minute with Ruter picking up a loose pass from Paul Smith, quickly dribbling across the box and playing some of all through, who slotted home to make the game 1-0. Leeds then had the majority possession and more chances in the first half, but weren't able to extend their lead. And in the second half, QPR tried to press us more in our own half, which helped to disrupt our build-up to some degree. However, Leeds still had the greatest share of both possession and chances on goal. The game ended 1-0 after some late drama in which QPR's goalkeeper, Asmir Begovic, was sent off thanks to Bamford the Cheat, as the wonderful iFollow commentator said. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, I urge you to go look it up on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever else. Um, But yeah, on paper, it was a pretty convincing win for Leeds with us accruing 1.8 XG to QPR's 0.3. And yeah, we'll get straight on into the interrogation where I'll ask Martin a set of questions. Some of them are sent via Patreon, some of them Twitter, and some of them just from me and the guys at the podcast. So... Um, we had a question from Will on Twitter who said, Farker ball is still to reveal itself in the attacking phases of play. There now seems to be too much reliance on individual skill rather than constructive passing movements to break teams down. Is this a fair observation, would you say? Yeah, I, th- I think it probably would, um, at least in the attacking third of the pitch. It does seem that there isn't really anything which looks to be constructive patterns of play. There does seem to be a lot of variation in the way we are, we are looking to attack with a lot of new changes coming into the way individuals are attacking. Um, I think we've seen a lot of that with Jorginho Ruter. He's been had somewhat of a, of a free role, to be honest, but we'll get more into his role and Perot's later on. But I would say that a lot of the games that we have won have probably come from more individual skill and the talent that we have in our forward line as opposed to anything which is constructed and part of fark ball in, ge- in general. But I do think in the more deeper areas, there's, there's probably some more patterns in there, which I think we'll speak about shortly. We've got a question coming up about build-up. But I think in relation to the attacking phases, I think that would be a fair comment that we have a fair bit of reliance on the individual skill. I'm not sure what you think on that, Adam. I, I largely agree, but I did feel like in the thir- first, it was kind of Ruter's role in it, the first 35 or so minutes, we were the, not just the better team, but I think a lot of the interplay um, allowed for runners off the ball. So for me, it was like, yes, maybe there is a quality differential still between the two teams, and obviously we're a much better squad of players than QPR. But the way Ruter was, was occupying spaces and just pulling players around out wide and stuff like that, there was... Time, there were like spaces for players to crash the box or to run into those those areas and the goal came from that obviously with Somerville he kind of found himself in a slightly more central position after Ruter was a little bit wider um, and then was able to sort of hit the box have a really really nice touch and, and slot it in um, but 
I don't think every player is making the most of that. I think Pirot was a little bit quiet in this game. Um, I thought Anthony was pretty good and I thought he found some good positions. Um, I don't know how cohesive that is, but it just, to me, feels like there are pockets of spaces that are, are opening up and some players are moving into them better than others is what, what I would say. But in general, yeah, it does feel still a little bit too individualistic and like our best moments are coming in transition. And a lot of our players are suited to that. And I, and I think this could be like even stronger if we get into the Premier League, um, if we do get there, because I think we've got a lot of players suited to that. Um, and I also think that it would be even better if we were a little bit better at winning the ball higher up. I think our... You know, rest defense and our defense in general has been pretty good, but our like transitional pressing has only really been good against, I would say, Watford. Um, so, I think I think if we were better in the opposition half, we'd make the most of even more chances like that. Now that is a, a way to score. I guess it is repeatable, but I know what the questions asking. The questions asking about more like repeatable patterns of of play, like interplay between players moving into into spaces and rotating around each other, and, and the sort of things we saw under Bielsa a lot of the time, where it's it's something you you see time and time again each game like a, a similar routine of, of players building the ball up in an area and uh, the ball getting out and then we get a chance on goal we haven't seen enough of that even though I felt like like I said there were times when there was probably spaces for players to hit like Somerville did for the goal um, but yeah it, I didn't really care too much I think in the first 35 minutes maybe it was better uh, but after that it wasn't wasn't too good we, we should have put the game to bed to be fair like within that time frame in my opinion I would agree I would agree with that yeah, and, and Niall asks um, sort of a similar question as to what I've just been talking about. Um, he says, are you seeing any repeatable patterns in build-up yet? I felt there were a few signs in the first half. I've talked about it in the in the final third, but do you want to talk about how we actually build up the ball? Yeah, so in the early, early phase of build-up, um, it's, it's been quite a similar thing we've had in the right-back area who will, who will get further forward and look to provide options further up the field. And then you'll have Archie Gray, who's been slotted into the right-back area where Luke Ayling leaves behind, basically. And I think that has worked quite well for us, and that is something which we have seen quite often. Um, there is another question of specifically on this next coming up, so I don't want to talk about that too much. Um, but yeah, the the left-back, uh, Ben Barra, has been excellent uh, in the build-up areas of making himself available in more central spaces because he plays quite in- inverted in his role and that's worked quite well. And I felt that him and Anthony had quite a good um, chemistry between them as to, as to who would work, work in what area when. And it did lead to some unable to when they were trying to press us um, late in the first half and in the second half, that did give us those out balls when we've got players who are taking up different spaces and moving players around in that early build-up, which did really help us out in, in times. We did have to go along a few occasions, and that, that was mainly seen with when Melier was being pressed. We was going along quite often then. But I do think that we are definitely seeing um, repeatable patterns, and that has been a consistent thing since the start, since the start of pre-season, really. So yeah, I do think that is yeah, we have been seeing those repeatable patterns. Someone else who went long was um, Pascal Strauch, and I know a lot of this podcast likes to talk about him and how much we love him. Um, and one thing that kind of went missed was the pass he played for Bamford's winning the uh, the red card, I guess. Um, when he played it over the top. I don't think that was just a hopeful ball. I think he's put a nice bit of bend on it to kind of keep it away from the goalkeeper, but Begovic has then come out. That was nice. I wouldn't say that's particularly repeatable. I just wanted to talk about it because I really liked it as a moment and it kind of got missed. Um, 
Yeah, and, and I guess, yeah, the follow-up for this is that um, with Ailing co- coming back into the side, we saw a return of the right-back pushing forward more instead of the left-back, which we'd seen in the previous games, where I think that Sam Byron was maybe doing that perhaps a little bit more, and like you said, inverting into into midfield is probably more what he's going to do this season, and that's probably what we saw more in this game with the right-back playing a bit higher up, um, and that meant that Archer Gray was dropping into the right-back area. Um, it seems like this is one of the build-up solutions when we have certain individuals playing um, as this dynamic doesn't seem to occur when Shackleton has been at right back um, did that shift enable us to build up the ball better in your opinion? Yeah I do feel that that it did um, especially with the movement of Archie um, from midfield into the right back area um, that does do quite a bit to disrupt the opposition pressing and keeping that in place because you've got to have a player who will move forward to keep track of Ailing and then the midfielder will be unsure whether to follow Gray into into that space in the right back area, or just stick it stick to his area. So it does create some problems for opposition when they are pressing, and especially when they are. I think that QPR did try to start pressing high, I think towards the middle of the first half, and then they got even more intense. But we'll go about it. I'll talk about what they were doing differently a bit later on. But yeah, I do think that this is the way that. I would prefer to see it as play with um, the right back pushing further forward. And obviously, when we have Jed Spence back, he'll be even more ideal for this part of the game. And I think the reason why we don't use Shackleton in that sort of role is just because of Shackleton's physicality. He's not one who would be able to win, to bring down many aerial balls very well, whereas that is something which both Ailing and Spence will be able to do because they're both different physically. So I think that's why when Shackleton is playing, he opts to have him more of the deeper inverted build-up option with Byron holding further up. But yeah, I do think it is better to have, have it in this, this way. It does help us uh, have different options, I think. Which is interesting because I think Shackleton has the sort of recovery speed to play a little bit higher up and, and get back to defend because Byram doesn't really have that. He's not slow by any means, but he's not like, got the same kind of pace level. But I get what you're saying. And I think with Spence, it'll look even better because he'll have that, that physical dominance and that um, athleticism as well, have that speed, um, where I don't think anyone has that combination of what he does in the squad. I do think it's interesting the way we've been using Gray. I think we've seen this in a few games now. Um, it's interesting because he has played as a right back for youth teams at Leeds and England. Um, obviously not as not as frequently as he has in midfield. He is more of a, a sort of number eight or number 10 for most of his career at youth level, but he has done it a little bit. And I was having a conversation with a few people on, on Twitter and um, I think it was even brought into the Discord a little bit. Could he potentially play as a right back in this system and I think it's an interesting question because I think if we needed it we could do it it's just that we have so many right back options it's not quite not very likely I would say because there's just so many players covering that area um but yeah I I was happy with Gray I thought he was much much better I think he looked more himself I think he looked sharper and smoother and more fluid and and sort of not scared of the ball. I wouldn't say he was scared of the ball in other games, but like he was giving it away too much. He just didn't look as fatigued. Um, and it really helped his performance in general. And I thought he, he had a pretty good game, even though our press, uh, the QPR press kind of gave us some problems in the second half. I thought he still played pretty well and he was back to his best. Um, even though at the same time, uh, I obviously missed the Southampton game live, but I, I have watched some of it back and actually thought, yeah, Kamara was actually pretty decent in that game considering we lost and I thought it was maybe a bit harsh to drop him but clearly we now have two good options and the way that Gray was used is, is going to be handy um, the other thing I wondered and this is kind of a little follow-up sorry it's not on the running order is what would 
how good would Ethan Ampadu be in that sort of role? Because if Spence is playing as high and wide and getting far as far forward as we expect him to, would Ampadu also be a pretty good player in those sort of areas? Especially because he's just a super super player in terms of like rest defence and and where he wants to position himself and, and cleaning up attacks from the opposition and things like that. I just wonder if he he could also be pretty good at that role if we wanted to get Kamara in a team and he wasn't as good as it at it. Sorry. Also, so do you mean to have? Ampadu playing on the right side of midfield, um, so he would be doing what Archie's doing now. Is that what you mean? Yeah, if Kamara was in the team, I think that that probably would would make more sense. But it's nice to have all three of these profiles where they can all do a bit of something. I just don't know how good Kamara would be at, at doing what Gray's been doing um, in in terms of like freeing up the right back a little bit. It might need to be Ampadu if Kamara's in the team. I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, I do think he probably would be able to do it with, with Kamara because he he was doing that um, at left back in games, and that 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 was what he was doing when we've had the dynamic switch when we've had Shackleton in the side we had Camera who was doing it over the left back area um, and that could just be because of his strongest foot is his left so that's, that would make more sense to have him over there but I do think he probably would be able to do a similar job to what Gray does in that right back area so I think most high midfielders would have the skills to be able to do that we've not seen enough of Groove to see whether he would as well and I do want to see more of him um, we've barely seen him to be honest so it would be nice to get him in to to get some minutes but at the moment no need to rock the boat too much and I do think Groove is probably a backup to Ampadu and maybe it will be time to give Ampadu a a break so we're not breaking him (laughs) yeah he's played I think every minute of every game I don't actually think he's been subbed yet I might be wrong about that he's definitely played in every game I don't know if he's been subbed I can't can't recall and I I actually just sorry to deviate slightly from the ring order I thought that was a little strange I actually liked some of Farker's subs but it felt like again dropping one of the midfielders out for another midfielder or even a forward out for a midfielder to kind of see the game out would have made some sense he didn't do it he didn't turn to Kamara or Groove at any stage which was a little strange but anyway I digress um we alluded to this in the game summary but what was it that QPR did differently in the second half as we weren't able to create as many good chances so I think it think this switch started in the, in the first half um they were pressing us more um they were getting their midfielders involved in, in our half as well um which did help us sorry did prevent us from building up as, e- as easily and we had to go longer more often so yeah that was basically what they did they were just adding their midfielders to 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 their forward press so at times they did have five men in our half which um was a big shift from what they were doing before we scored so it, was, it didn't make things difficult for us but at the same time <coughs> so, sorry i don't think it impacted it massively because we were still able to create chances just not any as big, if you, if you know what I mean. So the chances question was still there, and we were still getting around their box, but we just didn't create them in the second half. And I'm not sure what, if, if you know anything they did differently in defending their box, which could have influenced that. I didn't notice anything different, to be honest. No, I just don't think we were quite as cohesive, were we? Um, I The only chance of note was that Strout close range one, really, in the second half. The, the sort of scramble in the box, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think Ainsworth just certainly wanted to like press us a bit higher, engage us up the pitch, but they only really mustered about I think it was five shots in the end, um, in total, and and they kind of struggled to actually create anything meaningful. Um, so it didn't really matter. It kind of just became a little bit stodgy, um, where neither team were really creating that much, and maybe we had a little bit more of the ball, but we weren't like using it as well as we were in the first half, and and making the ball sort of stick in the attack where we needed to until a certain Mr. Patrick Bamford came on, I would say, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I, like I sort of touched on there, they didn't create that many chances, even though 
they were pressing us much better. Um, what were we doing well in defending against their attacks, in your opinion? I think it was mainly our, the way we were defending the box. Um, they were primarily looking to attack the box with crosses, and our defenders were dominant in those battles. They did have everything they needed to do <coughs> to defend the box, which really stopped them from, from creating anything. Um, I think there was just a couple of late blocked shots which they had, which were could have been a decent chance if they weren't blocked um, but yeah we were getting in, into them quite quickly when they was around our box stopping them from getting dangerous areas off I think we did quite a good job of nullifying chair I thought that we had someone close to him most of the time which really did help because he was their most dangerous player yeah, I don't have loads to say on this myself, but it felt like as well the spacing has been pretty good in most games other than maybe the Ipswich one. Um, and I felt like we were pretty much fine and solid in this in this respect. And with Roden and Strauch, I just feel like much more com- comfortable and confident. And like the goals we've conceded when they've been on the pitch at the same time is, is obviously really low. Again, besides that Ipswich game, really. Um, so I think that the the dominance that they're showing as a pairing is, is really shining through. But also in other areas, I think our rest defence is just really strong now like Gray and Ampadu were, were probably better off the ball than on at this game even though there were still some good moments from both of them on the ball um, and they're just able to stodge it up and, and see things out and yeah we're now just like a much more solid unit I would say and, and even players like Ailing aren't always getting as exposed maybe Gray's helping with that by dropping in at the sort of right back area but I just find this really weird because Obviously, with Daniel Farker teams, and I've said this before on this podcast, but like his teams are known for being like quite free flowing and scoring, and and yeah, he's kind of had to adjust slightly. But instead of us being able to do that on a regular basis, we've become this really solid unit where I think what's that like five clean sheets now or something stupid like that is yeah, is a really good amount. Like we we managed to keep the opposition out, and like in most games as well, the the xG for them has been pretty low, and even like the Birmingham one, the loss. If we go all the way back to that, that was only a penalty really late. On and like they were the better team, but they didn't create loads and loads in that game. And it just feels like we tend to like keep the chances to a minimum from the opposition, which is obviously a good thing. And if, if we do manage to just grind out wins, that'll be good for us over the course of a season. But I, I was a little bit frustrated in this game because we went one nil up and we didn't we didn't end up like winning comfortably. And I always feel like with this team, if we go one nil up and a team starts to press us and engage us higher, like they did, uh, and we were able to deal with it like we did as well, um, then I felt like we should be creating more than we did. And we didn't in the end. And I felt a little bit annoyed. Uh, like It was a bit of an annoying one nil. I'm glad we won the game, but I felt like when it was like, I said it in the discord, I said, we'll win like three or four nil now. And we only won one nil. So yeah, thanks Farker for making me look <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I think there was some some unlucky moments in there. I think the especially the shot from Pascal Strauch, which was just quite close on that, that set piece situation, that was that should definitely be a goal. And also the chance from Somerville in the first half, I think that was also there's a few a few big chances there, and we did create a f- Roden as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that diving header. Yeah, there were a few that I felt like kids should have should have gone in. So we may be a bit unlucky with that. Maybe two or three nil might have been more more deserved based on that. But it is what it is. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. In this game, we did see a full debut for Jay Nancy. He had his first start. How did we feel that he did and got on? I felt he did very well. I, I, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. Um, he's got a lot of things about his game which you can really appreciate. He's, especially his decision-making. He's just really good as to when to go outside, when to stick inside. I felt he was rotating that quite well. And he's got such a quick turn of turn of direction on him so he can, he can keep defenders guessing, which is something that I robbed off Hobbsy, and I apologise, Hobbsy. But yes, he, he does have a great t- turn of direction. And... I just like the fact that he doesn't shoot immediately when he gets to outside the box like um, Daniel James. That is just a pleasant surprise. He did, he did do that maybe once, I think, but there's a lot of other times where he didn't do it. So it's always good to have someone who will make the right decisions in the right moments. And I think that in general, he did work very well on our left side. Him and Byron had a great partnership going on. And also between him and Ruter, because Ruter was going to that side quite often as well. So it did really help us have a quite a cohesive attack on the left side. Yeah, I largely agree. And I don't think it was just the way he like can can turn directions. I really like that as well. But it's the way he like opens his body up. I think we've mentioned this before. Um, he kind of opens himself up to like play a pass or cross quite easily rather than sort of keeping his shoulders quite tucked in and, and things like that. His, his body's nice and wide and he, he did that quite a few times. And yeah, his, his decision-making was maybe the best thing. Like It just felt like he made the right option of pass or the right option to dribble or whatever. He took the right choice a lot of the time. Um, was pretty happy with his, his passing as well. I was quite down on the signing, but I think it was mainly because we lost Sinister as part of the deal and I absolutely loved that him as a player. Um, and I, I'd, I'd seen Anthony a fair bit and I thought this might be kind of a... A, a decent signing but no more but I'm I'm pretty pleasantly surprised with how he's done so far and there's been a bit of talk about him on Twitter from this performance when I think a lot of people were pretty happy with him um, as to whether he's now first going to be first choice at left wing instead of Nonto and Nonto's back which I find interesting and it's probably something we're going to see in the coming months I don't think Nonto's injury is actually that bad I think he's after the international break he's supposed to be back so it'll be interesting to see how Fark plays them I think um Anthony's probably a better player against low blocks. I think that he's probably got a key pass or you know a moment to unlock the door in terms of a, a nice cross to the back post more than a player like Nonto. But I think Nonto's probably a better dribbler, can get out of a situation and, and create something from that as well. So they're both going to come up with moments in in different ways in different games. So interested to see how they're, how they're used going forward. Uh, but I was, yeah, pretty happy with this. And, and I hope that this is the kind of level we see from him from now on because, yeah, he's a, he's a decent player. Clearly. Um, and yeah, another question about individuals, maybe not quite as positive on this one, is, is we had a number of questions from people on Twitter about Pirot and whether he's being played in the wrong position again. And if we even played him at a nine at all in this game, 
how can we solve the issue that Perot is giving us at present? And what are some of the issues, I guess, as well? I think there's a, a few different things which went wrong for Perot in this game in particular. And a lot of it is to do with his, movement, his movements and his decision-making. He wasn't making the right choices as to when to move into the box and when to drop a bit deeper to aid and build up. There was a few moments which just really frustrated me. Um, this, like this one time, I think it was around about the 60th, 70th minute, and we were camped around their box. And there was, I think there was like three players, including him, just outside our box. We were some of their players as well. And he sort of made the decision to drop further deep. So he was he was around about the edge of the edge of their box, and he dropped further deeper than that to give an option for a pass there. And at that, that point, there was just no one inside the box at all. And it just it didn't seem the right choice to do to drop even deeper when we're looking to get into their box. So I know, I know that he, we've mentioned this a lot that he's not a nine in the classic sense, but there is still this need to get players in the, in the box. And especially when you've had Ruta who was playing wider, you'd think that it would be for him to occupy that space when Ruta is getting wider because Ruta was doing a lot of good things in this game. Progression was from, from the back a lot more than what Perot was, and that should be what he's doing, considering he's technically the 10 in, in this setup, and it just didn't really work because he wasn't making the right decisions, I think, in this game. You kind of hit the nail on the head with the decisions. I sort of, sort of talked about that at the start, didn't I, with Rutea kind of pulling around players and then opening up spaces, and like I said, Somerville hit them, Perot didn't all the time, and I was a little bit disappointed in that sense, but... I think I wish I, I wish we had a larger listenership because the amount of tweets I see of people saying why not just swap Ruter and Perot or the amount of times I see a journalist even like putting Perot as the nine and, and Ruter as either on the bench or as the ten uh, it's just kind of frustrating and I think it's important again I know a lot of listeners will know this but like talk about the profile a little bit and Perot's this weird player where he's kind of a bit of both where he's not really a creative 10 if he's played as a 10 and if he's a 9 he's not really a lone centre forward so he's kind of a 9.5 where he's can do some things of both where he can kind of play in both roles um if we play him as as a 10 at some point could we see uh, sorry if we play him as a as a 10 with a striker like Bamford up front could we play Ruter as a as a right winger um and and play Perot as the centre forward um could we do it that way as well? Like, like I just said, with Perot as a centre forward and um, Ruter out wide and maybe a, another midfielder uh, as the attacking midfielder. There's a, there's a few ways you could do it differently just to see what it would hap- what would happen, what it would be like. But again, like it's not something he's done much in his career. Um, he has played largely as a uh, secondary striker um, or in a strike pairing where he's kind of alongside a striker um, in a two, which he did a little bit at Swansea as well. Um and I'm just not 100% that he's going to be the answer as a lone striker at all. But I'd, I'd like to see it at some point as well, like some fans. But I just think you need the right profiles around that if you're going to do it. And I don't think it's for every game. I think it's just for some games. But his interpretation of space, no matter what, is why he gets... I know it wasn't good in this game, but it's why he gets on the pitch. Because I think he's always going to potentially have a moment where he can get on the blind side of a defender and score or he's on the edge of the box. And sometimes we don't find him and he is there on in space and he can he can hit them really well from that sort of position. And we haven't seen that much yet because most of his goals have come inside the box. But every time 
we seem to find him he seems to need to turn to shoot or if he can shoot it just gets crowded out by players or he's in a position where it's probably better to make a pass but he's not got that sort of creative passing instinct in him so we're just not really getting the best out of him now but I understand why Farker is persisting with playing him because if you have four goals in seven games and you are just like one of those that's always going to score then you kind of have to take the rough with this move with him um where you know there's a, there's issues with him, but he's gonna score goals, and I think this was a little bit true of Rodrigo at times. And this team, obviously, it was a, a different manager and different setup, but it was kind of the same issue in in a different way, where he would just score a lot of goals, and that was important, and that's why we needed to get him on the pitch sometimes. Perot might be the same this season, and I, and I think what could end up happening is he scores twenty goals or more, but has a pretty meh or pretty average season, <laughs> which which is a funny thing to say, but like I just don't think he's going to contribute to all round play as much and the my biggest gripe actually at the moment with him is actually his out of possession stuff i think he's really passive um, i agree with that and i and it's it's okay if you have like somerville and Ansi probably a little bit more intense retires quite intense probably more okay in a game like that but in other games if you have like nonto um and you know a different winger or something like that like it might not make sense um to have Piro on the pitch as much because he's just not offering that that presence off the ball and I think that then teams can kind of target that area to build up the ball nicely because he's just not going to engage um players as much and that's probably my biggest issue more than anything else I still want him to play I I would just tinker around with it I'd say yeah in this game we're going to play him as a 10 or whatever you want to call it a secondary striker in this game we're going to play him as a centre forward and we'll just see like what's better I, it's not ideal but I, I would just tinker around with it um and the reason I say that is because I think Ruta versatile enough to play you know wider and stuff like that anyway I'm rambling a little bit um so the other player kind of links into this is Patrick Bamford and he came off the bench in this game and around the sort of 65th minute for pro and when he came on uh, the dynamic was just much different and um, what was Bamford in your opinion doing differently Martin well he was just doing what Bamford does best and that is occupying the centre-backs that's just something which he's always done to a very good degree. Um, he, he finds good spaces which he can attack behind the, the lines, which gave us options to play lo- long balls through. And that was literally one of the first actions that he did. Um, I forget who it was who played the ball behind, but then, then he, he made a cutback and it sort of got deflected onto Luther. But that was a very good opportunity, literally moments after he came on and it was created just because he was occupying centre-backs and making runs beyond, which is just something which we have not seen from Perot, and that is why we keep saying that Perot isn't the striker, <laughs> because those are the sort of runs which he just doesn't make in his game, and that is something which Bamford does, because he is a, a natural centre-forward who will make those runs often and all the time, and it just gives us an outball and to use whenever we need to, especially later in games like this one, it was very useful, so uh, when we were being pressed, we could just hit hit it long, and he was going to be using that space in some some degree, and he would do something with it, and it, that's what we saw in this game, I think, just Pat Bamford being Pat Bamford. <laughs> and I've been on this podcast for a couple of years now, I've been pretty outspoken about my love and feelings for Bamford, but I did feel like, and it was really painful to say this out loud, but like last season he probably did start to break a bit and there was a while I was persisting with he's still going to be good for us if we play him because he offers this and that and this and that but then he came back and he didn't quite look the same player but this game maybe slightly proved me wrong um, and I was really happy with how he contributed like you said he's so good at occupying centre-backs he runs the channels he holds up the ball he links up the play he presses more and he presses 
not just more, but in the right way, and and he's more intense in how he does that, which Piro obviously doesn't do. Um, I, like I said, I don't, I'm not sure he's exactly what he used to be, but I think it's going to be easier for him a level down from the Premier League in the Championship, and easier now that we have other striker options that we can just kind of put him in in small bursts like this, like we did against Southampton, which was even smaller burst, and just give him a little bit of time to to get up to speed. Um, it would be lovely at some point if he is capable of starting games, but. At the same time, I'm not sure how regularly I'd want him to do that. It would mean moving players around quite a bit or taking someone out. Now, I'm not against it, again, for some games, but I think long-term, we need to stick with what we've got because I just don't think we can rely on Bamford. But at the same time, yeah, he just offers us something that other players don't. Rutak can occupy in a different way. Like He's good at carrying, he's good at dribbling, he uses his body really well. Bamford can occupy less by being like a nuisance in terms of how he dribbles, more by being a nuisance by just planting himself on players, putting little elbows in, putting his back into players, being a bit bit dirty, even though he, he doesn't strike you as that kind of player when you like see him off the pitch, but he really is. Oh no, it's a, it's a nightmare for centre-backs, definitely is a nightmare for centre-backs in that, in that respect. And I still think he has that, even if, if he's declined a little bit from like what we had a few years ago, and I still think he can contribute, and I was pretty happy even with his shot that he took, he took it quite early, hit quite nice and cleanly, keeper wasn't quite set for it but he did make the save obviously wasn't the best shot in the world because it was at the near post but I thought he did alright with it and just moments like that I just need to help build his confidence back up um, on the red card obviously there's a lot of talk about that I don't know how much I want to talk about it but for me it, it feels like he goes down because he's expecting contact and he's trying to avoid it he's kind of trying to avoid Begovic because his studs are so high and he, he tries to get out of the way and that's why he goes down I was kind of hoping he would stay on his feet because if he does, he might be able to get to the other side of the ball when it's gone around the keeper and, and tap it in. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't. Obviously, he, he did go down in the end. But obviously, these these comments about him being a cheat are pretty funny because I think it's one of those, it's a weird one. He's, he's kind of dived, but he's also like, I think he is just anticipating that he's going to get clattered. So he's he's, he's kind of fallen over. Yeah, I think that's more what it is. I don't think he was diving. He just didn't want to get booted in the face, which... Well, but yeah, I can I can relate to that. I don't often see try to get booed in the face in my line of work, so that's fine for him to, to do the same. And I think he has come out after the game and said that there was no contact. Um, I, I believe that's what he said to. I think that's what Gareth Ainsworth said post game was that the one that he spoken to Bamford and he admitted that there was no contact. So I think they probably will um, try to repeal that red card. That's which and they'll probably be successful in that, and just hopefully that won't end up with Bamford being suspended but I guess since he is I don't think I don't think it can I'm not sure I'm not 100% I'm not going to say that definitively but I don't think he can I don't think so but I think that that did happen after the Aston Villa game though That well, he, he did get a, a small suspension after that debacle so it, it is a possibility but it's, it shouldn't affect him as much now anyway because he's not really a starting player so if it does happen it happens but hope, hopefully it won't yeah I mean it might give him a nice rest <laughs> he might be struggling after two games yeah. knowing him and his body these days but yeah his, his ability in this game to kind of alleviate pressure when they certainly were engaging us a bit more and when we had to go a bit longer I think the ball was just sticking a bit more with him and that's what's so important and why he can be a bit of a nightmare and, and I just had this like weird thought before we were recording like what have you combined the best attributes of Patrick Bamford and Pirro you'd have such a good centre forward where they can finish but they can also do a lot of other things because I think Pirro can be coached to do 
some of the things maybe not in the same way or as well as as either Bamford or Ruter but like you can ask him to run beyond a little bit more even though he's not very quick even at top speed he's he's okay like he's got okay speed at top speed but I think you can ask him to do more of that um I also think you can ask him to hold the ball and occupy a little bit more as a center forward and as a lone striker but it's going to take a little bit of coaching the the main one is again like his pressing I think he can be coached to do that but imagine if he just had naturally those those Patrick Bamford like instincts and that Patrick Bamford speed that he sometimes has um I think he'd be such a a better all-round center forward and it just made me a little bit sad that we just don't have this like really like well-rounded player I guess and, and I, I was just thinking about Victor Gierkerez and, and how much I love him and the fact that we should have signed him and we didn't but I again I digress um I, I, but I wanted to say for anyone listening and and uh, is a Bamford hater well I hope that he proved you wrong a little bit because I think he, he played pretty well here even if he dived or whatever you want to call it um I think he was a, a positive impact and influence on the game and I hope that he can you know play some football this season and a goal would do him the world of good for his confidence as well. I don't know. Yeah, that feels like the next thing he needs to do now. You, you get him back fit, he plays a, a little bit, and then he scores a goal and he might actually start to, to kick on nicely. This is if he doesn't <laughs> get injured again in the meantime, but we'll touch wood on that one. Yeah, I think the one thing I did want to say about the Perot thing that I forgot to mention earlier, actually, is I felt like he was quite good at helping us to progress the ball. Um, further down the flanks and he was quite often coming deeper to help with that respect and he actually finished with the second most progressive passes in this game against QPR he had seven which was quite decent I didn't really remember them but when I was watching it back I tried to look out for them and I did, did notice them more and then there was quite a lot of good ones that he was playing out to the sides to which um, Byron was getting on to a, a lot of them so he did quite well in that respect so a little bit of props to him in that area it's a strange one, isn't it, with our forwards? Even though I think some of them will probably prefer to receive the ball a little bit higher um, and wider and, and sort of attack his full. But I think all four of our forwards don't mind coming deep for the ball to to do stuff. And Somerville has done that this season. Certainly Anthony, Pirro and uh, Ruter all fill into that. So yeah, that's why another profile like Bamford could be useful because I don't think he wants to do that as much. He wants to be on the last line. We need more of our players to start doing that a little bit, I think. But I can't knock someone like Ruter too much because I thought he had another really, really good game. Um, were there any other sort of standout performers for you? That's, I guess, what I wanted to ask. Um, I thought that even though it was only a 1-0 win, we didn't play like really, really well. I think a lot of players played fairly well or decent in the game I just wondered if you had any in mind that you wanted to give a shout out to as, a, as ever um, Ampadu <laughs> yeah, got man of the match yeah he was just absolutely ridiculous both on and off the ball um, he there's one particular pass which just got me going but when they were pressing about the 55th minute I think it was and so he just played this nice pass just to evade pressure all the way along the back line and on the LUTV commentary you just heard Tony DeRigo to go just that was just because of how dangerous it was and they don't they don't like playing risky balls like that but for me it was just oh so good and yeah he was he's just fantastic I still to this they can't see why he's playing in the championship for us. It just seems mental. That is no, it's crazy. Yeah, like you've got him and Kid and Jusby Hall in different ways having this little battle for who's the best midfielder in the division right now. Because Jusby Hall got um, another goal the other night, and he's now got like I think he's up to like nine or ten goal contributions from midfield already, or something stupid like that. And lost track. It was that good. And and then you've got Ampadu who's not doing that, but he's doing like everything else just in just 
like a, to a Premier League standard, and the, I feel like he would start for like at least maybe ten teams in the Premier League, if not more. He's that good already, um, and I think if we don't if we don't go up, he's not going to be. He's not going to be sticking around, I don't think. I mean, it, seems, it seems crazy that we've bought him for seven million, and um, Bournemouth have paid us how much for Tyler Adams? Twenty three, twenty four million, with including all the add ons all in. I think something around that. It seems mental to me that they didn't go for Ampadu over Adams. That, I don't understand why why, why they wouldn't. Especially because they're quite good recruiters, but I think it's just not maybe like having like obviously they might be scouting more domestically potentially, and they have done quite in that market this summer. Um, even though I know that Bournemouth have signed players in the past and have players in their squad that have certainly been signed from you know foreign markets. Uh, this summer was a little bit more domestic-focused from a lot of their signings, so maybe that's all it is, but Ampadu was obviously brilliant um, for us and was pretty good in Italy, even though he got relegated twice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted with him. Um, I could talk about him all day. He's my favourite player. <laughs> we only had him for like, what, 11 or 12 games in total or something like that in all competitions. Um, but I wanted to give a few other shout-outs personally. I thought Strauch had another, and Roden was pretty good as well, but Strauch had another really good game. Byron was like, again, just so comfortably steady again. Um, I just hope that he can play enough this season as a starter. Um, Gray was better, as we've mentioned. Um I don't think Ailing was particularly great, but he wasn't exposed in the same way. I think there were a few moments where some touchy touches, but you know, is what it is. I think he he actually handled Chair quite well most of the time they came up against him. Yeah, he was pretty quiet, Chair, definitely. And he's a player we both absolutely love. Um, so that was good. I actually said that we should, uh, you know, we should have locked him away. Um, <laughs> in somewhere in Allen Road until January and then forced him to sign for us because he's that good. Um, but yeah, he was, he was, it's just ailing like there was a few touches and it was a foul throw and it's just some funny stuff. But in, in general, performance levels were pretty good. I, I would say that Ruter, Byram, Ampadu, Gray, and Anthony were probably the, the players that stood out the most for me um, in varying different ways and for different reasons. But yeah, uh, there were some decent performers, even if the entire performance of the team wasn't particularly perfect i would say yeah i'd agree with that right well uh that does bring us to the end of this podcast i'm sorry there's only been us two i hope that you have all enjoyed uh listening to me and martin talk about Leeds united winning against qpr obviously we play bristol city next and you're about to go and record that aren't you i think immediately um with Tom Alderson, so you should all listen to that. And speaking of Tom Alderson, he would kill me if I didn't speak about the Patreon. So, uh, throughout the season, we've been putting out bonus content via our Patreon platform. Patreon is a media platform in which you can show support to creators you enjoy and receive bonus content in return. We put out Patreon-only podcasts and, our, and analysis articles, and our patrons only uh, also get all our podcasts ad-free plus early access to our preview pods which we're about to go and record like we just said um, there's other content on there as well that you should go check out like the under 21s and the state of the squad and things like that so please do head on over and if you want to access it and support us further you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash ASAW patreon that is patreon.com forward slash ASAW patreon like I said our next pod will be our preview of the Bristol City game which we're going to go record now so that's all that's left for me to say is thank you to martin you're welcome adam and thank you too and thank you dear listeners i hope that we win at the weekend and you all enjoy the game see you next week
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.